the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Innovators Network. Kim McNicholas on innovation. Spotlighting successful entrepreneurs, innovators, investors, and industry experts. Their stories and insights can help you become better informed, better educated, and a better investor. Your host is Emmy Award-winning anchor, reporter, and writer Kim McNicholas. Kim has been a journalist at Forbes magazine, a Fox News Channel contributor, vetted more than 3,000 startups, and has been a mentor for entrepreneurs around the globe. Now, Kim McNicholas on innovation. I've been covering startups since 1998, and the number one area of questioning always surrounds venture capital. So today's show is all about the fundamentals of raising venture capital. How do you get your feet on the ground and get lift off? We have with us some folks from Relay Ventures. We have Kevin Talbot, co-founder and managing partner of Relay Ventures. Also, Jessica Sung, she is an entrepreneur in residence at Relay Ventures. Thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Kim. Glad to be here. Over there at Relay Ventures, you guys are focused more on mobile and what are the biggest trends you're seeing in that space that you you have your eye on? Well, I think the big trend for us uh, since 2008 when we focused the fund on mobile software is that everything is mobile today. Everything. Everything. If they if, don't have a mobile strategy, don't invest. Well, it's not just that. It's, it's that <laughs> no one should it, invest. <laughs> well, I think, you know, when we think of mobile, we think of, of connected devices. We think of pervasive computing. We think of the fact that we're carrying computers around in our pocket, but right. also when you get into a connected car, when you change the thermostat on your connected, uh, in your connected home, you adjust mm-hmm. the thermostat. These are all connected devices. This is how we define mobile. So it's not just about putting an app on the phone. It's about this entire um, system that now works with us all the time in our pockets, in our homes, in our cars. That, to us, is mobile. It's so funny that we call it connected, but in a sense, I almost think that it's the opposite. It's the disconnected world and it, because you're not hardwired. If you think about the, mm-hmm. the past, and just looking at it from that front, you know, that point of view where everyone's hardwired to yeah. everything, now we're kind of unwired. Yeah. Oh, I like that, actually. Unwired. <laughs> And Jessica, what is your relationship with, uh, and how did you get involved with Relay Ventures? You're an entrepreneur in residence. That's a highly sought-after position (laughs) at venture capital firms. Yep. So I started out, I was one of the co-founders of Wi-Fi Slam. So Mm -hmm. we built indoor location software for mobile devices. Relay was actually one of our investors in our seed round, um, extremely valuable mentors for us. Uh, we actually exited to Apple a few years back. So I've spent the wow. past few years at Apple, first on the iOS location team, and then following that in corporate development doing M&A integration. Uh, I joined Relay recently as an EIR to kind of, you know, get back out there and figure out what I want to work on next. That's exciting. And probably the number one question you get is, how did you seal that deal with Apple? <laughs> it's a great question. Um, it's 
How did you even make that connection with them? How did you get in the door? Did they find you? You find them? How did that relationship start? You know, it's one of those things where it comes down to a lot of luck, (laughs) but a lot of relationships (laughs) as well. So our investors were pretty key in helping us to form those that network and those relationships. Kevin, (laughs) spill. (laughs) We want that secret sauce. Was, were, were you an integral part in, no. in helping to make that possible? Well, you know, I think, first of all, there were a number of companies that were pursuing the, pursuing Wi-Fi Slam. Mm-hmm. And what I think you have to do is you have to have something that's really differentiated and something that's, that's valuable to a number of players. Mm-hmm. And when you have that, then you create a market for the company. And you all then have a very tough decision about whether you keep building the company or do you sell. And um, you sometimes have to be very pragmatic about that. How do you make that decision? I mean, it's always a risk and it's always, gosh, I mean, you know, here you have Facebook that ended up, they Mm -hmm. had a million offers to sell. Well, I'll I'll let Jessica answer that from the entrepreneur's perspective. But what I'll tell you as an investor is that we have to really go with the founders. Um, You can't push a rope. So if the founders make the decision that now is the time, um, and you do some trade-offs to basically say, if we keep at it and we add this much more capital, what's the incremental value that we're going to be creating? Um, but if the if the entrepreneurs at the end of the day say, now's the time, then as an investor, you have to support them. But they have to also, as an entrepreneur, and I hate to even say it, but you do have to put your ego aside mm-hmm. if you're going to do that. Because doesn't everyone want to build an independent billion-dollar company? Definitely. And I think that's definitely one of the hardest decisions for an entrepreneur of whether to sell or be acquired or to continue growing your company into, you know, a billion dollar company. And you really have to take a look at your, the landscape of your technology and where you can drive it and build it Mm -hmm. as an independent company versus where you can see a company like Apple, for instance, or one of the larger, you know, tech companies and how they can utilize your technology to grow it into a much larger platform to really put it in the hands of millions and millions of users. Now, we skipped a bunch of steps here. Yeah. We went straight to acquisition. We, we went straight yeah. to that exit <laughs> in this conversation. What if we rewind a little bit and go back to the very, very beginning? Because you said that investors ha- were, played a critical role in helping you with that exit strategy. Mm-hmm. And so that is the number one thing I, I get asked all the time by startups is, how do you get started with investors? What is a venture-backed company? Well, that, that's a good question. Um, and I think what you have to think about before you raise venture capital is, you know, number one, can you build the business that you have without taking on outside money? Um, if you're going to take on outside money, are you prepared to trade ownership and ultimately control uh, to bring on the partner? And the partner's bringing not just money, uh, but also bringing connections into the ecosystem and a lot of value add to how that business is going to evolve. Mm-hmm. Um, we also would you know, ask the question, do you really want to build a big company here? Mm-hmm. And um, are you focused on getting big really fast? And so you need to be able to answer those questions. And before. do you have the potential? Do you have the right business for being able to scale fast? Well, then, then there's a whole, you know, another set of questions about uh, about the business you have and about the business you're proposing to get into. Mm-hmm. And then we start to evaluate whether we think that business has the potential or not. Because many healthcare companies can't scale fast. 
mean, well, you go along on the timeline of the FDA. Right. So, so, but, you know, I think we're all eyes open when we look at those companies. Right. And so there are some very big companies that have been built uh, based on selling into enterprise. And we know mm-hmm. enterprise is very slow. We do a lot of ed tech investing. And we know that, um, you know, it takes a long time to sell into school districts across the country. And so you have to balance all of that out. You balance that out against the amount of capital that you're raising. You balance that out against the valuation that the company is raising the money at and what you think the potential upside is. So you can still build very good companies, but you have to take all that into consideration. I was speaking at the Money Show yesterday in San Francisco, and one of the red flags that I noted is a CEO whose full-time job is to fundraise. Is that a red flag for you as well? Wow, I'm stunned by that. <laughs> because I, I think that my personal opinion, and I see, I think the, the, what leads to many companies' demise is simply the fact that they spend more time on fundraising than they do building the right product and creating yeah. the right business strategy. Okay, so, so there's only three things that a CEO should be doing, right? The CEO has to set the vision uh, for the company and articulate what that company is going to do. Mm-hmm. The second thing they need to do is hire the right people to execute on that vision mm-hmm. and make sure that they surround themselves with the smartest possible people. And then the third thing is to keep the bank account full to pay the salaries of those people to be able to execute on the vision. Mm-hmm. When we really boil it all down, that's the job of the CEO. So maybe they're not. Maybe the issue is that they're not the right CEO. That well, or or, or they I think, should be more hands-on in product. Well, I think. The um, what you're noticing as being a red light is that um, the other half of the equation, which is you know how do you get money into a company? Yes, you can go to investors and you can raise capital, but if you're permanently raising capital and you're not actually producing a business that starts to generate revenue, then that's where the red flag is. Right, exactly. Right? So it's like stop raising money and start focusing on generating revenue and building a business. I think that that is absolutely said perfectly. Well, coming up right here on Kim McNicholas on Innovation, we'll have more with Kevin and Jessica, as well as some startups have quite a few. The lines are filling up. They have some questions for you about how to scale their business as well. So stay with us. Now, back to Kim McNicholas on Innovation. And I think we have one of the coolest girls in Silicon Valley right here. We have Jessica Sung. She's an entrepreneur in residence. She sold her company to Apple. Congratulations. Thank you. That is so exciting. That's what we all want. We all want to sell to Apple. (laughs) And I remember, you know, Drew with Dropbox was telling me a story, the CEO of Dropbox, Mm -hmm. that was telling me that he didn't sell to Apple. I was like, how do you not sell to Steve (laughs) Jobs way back when? I mean, seriously, I guess it's cooler to say... I said no to Steve Jobs. Who did you say yes to? Was it Tim? Um, Tim Cook? It was a combination of the exacts at Apple, yeah. (laughs) Oh, wow. That must have been just so surreal for you. It was. It was a very, uh, it was a whirlwind process. (laughs) (laughs) And now you're an entrepreneur in residence with Relay Ventures. And we have Kevin Talbot. He's co-founder and managing partner at Relay Ventures. And we have so many startups that are on the line that have questions for you. But before we get into that, um, I want to go back to the very beginning, the fundamentals. There are different stages of funding, and I want you to make it clear to people at what point do you have friends and family and seed or angel and series A? Can you walk us through that? So most startups uh, will begin with a friends and family round, sometimes called an angel round. Uh, probably Someone called co- maxing out your credit card round. Yeah, it could be. Absolutely could be. So it's, it's, that, it's that very, very first stage. Um, then you move into a seed round, which could be 
uh, a million dollars. Some seed rounds are in the multi-million dollars. I don't really think those are seed rounds when they approach that size. But at any rate, that's the market we're in today. Then you progress through the letters. So Series A would be the next. And I think what's really important to understand is that when you raise seed money, it's really R&D money. Okay. What you're trying to do is um, you're selling – first of all, you're selling a concept or a vision. You want to collect some data. You want to build prototypes. You want to determine customer interest. Um, by the time you show up at our doorstop, because we primarily do Series A, mm-hmm. you have to have traction. You have to have metrics yep. that are improving month over month, quarter over quarter. And you're no longer selling a vision. Now you're selling a business. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have those metrics, then you're not ready for a Series A. Those are fantastic metrics. I always say that you must have proven product market fit. You're poised and ready to scale. Yeah. That's between seed and Mm -hmm. Series A, right? And it it, it sort of continues. When you talk to Series B investors, they don't want any part of the algorithm to be unknown. It's really about um, putting more gasoline in the tank and the Mm -hmm. same thing at Series C and so forth. Uh, where entrepreneurs start to get into trouble, and I was at an event last night in Palo Alto, and I was talking to entrepreneurs who are raising, and I said, well, what are you raising? And so now, you know, there's the pre-seed, there's the seed, there's the post-seed, oh, wow. now there's the pre-Series A. Those things do not exist, right? You raise seed money, <laughs> you um, have to accomplish a lot with a very little bit amount, a uh, little money, then you go to the Series A, you raise the Series A, and, and you're funding traction. And what about the pitch? So obviously they failed in their pitch to you. I guess you weren't going to invest in those ones. Well, you know, so a lot of people get all get all worried about the pitch to the VCs. And you can look on the Internet and there are, there are hundreds and hundreds of examples and templates and, you know, different PowerPoints and so forth. Um, but for us, it's not about the deck. I had, a, um, uh, I had a meeting yesterday with an entrepreneur. We did not even get past the first slide. And that is my mission wow. when I meet an entrepreneur for the first time. They walk in. They're all rehearsed. They have, you know, 15, 20 slides that they want to go through. Yep. Um, and I would suggest that if you make it through your deck on a first meeting with a VC, they are probably not going to fund you. Oh, interesting. Right? Because I think that for, for me, it's not about the deck. What we want to know in, in a very short amount of time is what is your ambition? What is your motivation? What is your depth of understanding of the opportunity? What is the compelling vision that you table? And who, you know, who are you? Mm-hmm. And why are you uniquely positioned to be able to do that? And in an hour across the table, I want to figure that stuff out. I can, I can look at your deck later. I can understand and learn about the technology later. I need to understand who you are. And you know, Jessica, you should give your perspective from your yeah. side of the table. But. Yeah, and from an entrepreneur's perspective, you want to have that time with every investor to get to know them as a person. Is this the person who I want to build my company with? Is this the person who I want to turn to when we're having challenges, who I know will be there to support me? Um, you know, if you just do a quick pitch and someone either accepts or declines the investment, you know, you really don't know that person. You don't have that relationship with them and that sense of trust it's really, you know, you pick your co-founders so carefully, and in a lot of ways, your investors play a very similar role and a very involved role within your company. And so knowing them as a person, knowing the value that they bring and the relationship that you can have is extremely important from the entrepreneur's side as well. Now, you're not going to be able to go ahead. No, I was just going to say, Kim, this is a 10-plus year asset class, mm-hmm. right? This is not transactional. We are going into business together, and – 
well, you may end up selling the company, you know, sooner than you think. But if you if you do an analysis, you know, Airbnb was founded nine years ago. Uber was founded eight years ago. It took Facebook eight years before they went public. Um, you know, so we're in an eight to ten year cycle of building a company. And when you come in to pitch a VC, look, every single VC has the same kind of cash. The money is the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all have different networks, different approaches, different philosophies. The entrepreneur has to be uh, actively trying to understand what we're going to be like as a partner and doing mm-hmm. reference checks on us mm-hmm. the same way we're doing that with the entrepreneur. And too many entrepreneurs are simply pursuing the highest valuation yes. at the lowest amount of, of uh, mm-hmm. dilution and who can you know close the fastest. And that's, that's the recipe for failure. Yeah. And the most successful entrepreneurs, most successful companies are the ones that find the perfect relationships that the are right aligned. People. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, let's get to the callers. We have on the line one true ID. Emmanuel is on the line. Yeah, Hi there. Thank you. Give us your thank 30 you for the Of course. Give us your 30 second pitch. Give it your best shot. Oh, well, yes. Uh, <laughs> we want to become the internet uh, um, as one true ID. We are a distributed and secure digital identity enable, but it is distributed via smartphone. And we want to become the Internet Book of Things. So therefore, in a social blockchain environment and through different technologies, we want to, thanks to the digital identity, to be the platform where most of the people will transfer and share the ownership. Okay, we're a little confused. So can you give us the layman's terms of, you know... Just the dumbed-down version of exactly what you're doing. Yes, we we are an Italian company, and uh, in Italian company, you know that uh, we have excellence in food and fashion, and uh, thanks uh, to our technology, we are in position to give a digital identity to an object, so to a product, to an image, to a document in uh, a very smart and cost-effective uh, way. And uh, this uh, technology is... Uh, well, I think we wireless. we yeah. almost lost you there. Okay, I, yes. think, I, I think I've got a, a sense in this because... So it's a digital identity platform for mm-hmm. things, essentially. Exactly, right. exactly. Thank okay. you, Kevin. So, um, uh, right, so... so, so in, from, from uh, from Hugo Boss to Valentino are adopting our technology, and uh, our technology uh-huh. permits uh, through a smartphone to have uh, uh, to use all of the powerful uh, technology of Industry 4.0. Okay, so we, I'm going to have to turn it over to Kevin because we're running out of time. We have about a minute and a yeah. half left in the break, so let's turn it over to Kevin okay. and get his thoughts. Right. So, so I think I think the. Um, for you, in, in terms of meeting with venture capitalists, what you want to do, if you have existing customers, it's very important that you talk about the use case and the application of the technology in the context yeah. of real customers. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and that gives instant credibility. And I right. think it's important across the board for every entrepreneur. So if you're selling a concept, um, 
and you don't have those proof points, then we're skeptics across the table. Yes. However, if you walk in and you say, this is my strategy, my world domination strategy, and by the way, these are all of my customers, then you suddenly shift the dynamic in the room and, and our ears perk up. And it's like, right. oh, really? I almost feel like you, he should have started with Valentino mm-hmm. first. Yes, exactly. And I so, related to that right away. Yeah, and yeah. when you're talking about bringing them online, whoa, I got it. Yeah. Does that yeah. help, Emmanuel? Yes, exactly. And uh, I have one question for Kevin. Okay, because, well, we're uh, going to have to have you hold on then, and we'll get to that when we come back in just a moment. So stay with us. Now, back to Kim McNicholas on innovation. Welcome back to the show. We have Relay Ventures, Kevin Talbot and Jessica Song here answering questions from startups, talking about the fundamentals of venture capital and starting a company, not only starting it, but scaling it. We have quite a few companies on the line why don't we jump to Mario? Um, he's with Spincast. And Mario, what we're going to ask you to do, thanks so much for joining us. We're going to have you go ahead and jump in with your 30-second pitch and get to your question. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to present us to you. And in 30 seconds or less, uh, we're a hybrid television network. We're available through an app. What makes us very different from the traditional television network and from the old, from the new OTTs are that we don't program, we don't greenlight. Our content is from all over the world. We take new content and original content. And what we mean by new is this is programming that perhaps an individual has never seen before because they're in another part of the world. And original content, this is the sort of programming that just doesn't go on air because there's no time for it. Since everything we do is VOD, everything and anything that we put on is strictly professional, broadcast quality. Mm. We we have no subscription. It's all ad-supported. We have no registration. So the viewer gets complete privacy, and we have our own technology called Spade, which allows us to program the type of advertising that's best suited for that viewer and that the advertiser wants to hit that demographic with. Fantastic. What's your question for Kevin and Jessica? We are a very different transformational OTT. And and the issue is, as we speak to investors like yourselves, we immediately get bundled into every other OTT or every other uh, over-the-top, over-the-air, rather, traditional television network and television station. And what we're trying to do is very quickly try to give that quick speech or that quick pitch like I've given to you and make... The, or, or have the, the investor understand how different we are within a very, very small nutshell. So, so that's what we need help in. Okay, so Mario, let me ask you a couple quick questions. Um, does this sure. does the service exist today? Um, do you have content today? Give me a couple metrics in terms of how much content you have and how many users you have. Absolutely. So we are on over 50 million TVs all right now. Uh, these are Vizios, uh, Samsung. These are the older smart TV platforms. We're available on any iOS, any Android device, Apple TV. We have about a dozen different titles. That's titles meaning movies and shows and so on. We have about eight to 10,000 on a server that we intend to put up once we have version two of our app ready, which that'll be ready in about two months. And we have all organic. We have about 30, oh no, I'm sorry, about 75,000 unique 
viewers. So at any given time, we'll have several hundred viewers on any one of our programs from everywhere around the world. Yeah. Okay, so let me give some quick feedback. I mean, I think the big problem you have is is uh, something called YouTube, and I don't know how mm-hmm. – you know, in this short opportunity, I, don't, I, I can't really assess how different you are, similar you are. Um, We're not user-generated. I, I understand, but... Strictly professional. Sorry. Right. Um, but um, I think YouTube is also no longer just about UGC. But at, at any rate, you, you are battling um, uh, perceptions that everybody has. And so I think the advice that I would give you is that for you, it's going to be all about simplification. Um, you use, you need to get rid of all the adjectives that you're using to describe what the service is. You need to figure out who you're speaking to because if you're speaking um, and trying to describe this in the context of uh, the viewer and why this is important to the viewer and why the viewer would actually consume your content, then don't worry about talking about the advertisers. If you're talking to the advertisers, then you're going to have to morph your, your conversation. My advice to you is that you need to find the most important attribute, single attribute, uh, that describes what you're doing and simplify your message here. I think that I agree. It, uh, you know, we said 30 seconds or less. That was about a minute 15. So you want to oh, definitely simplify that. that message. So good luck to you. Stay in touch and check back and maybe try again with another 30-second pitch in a couple of weeks, okay? Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Next up, we have Jeff with Applied Apps. He has a product, I believe, called Ledgerbox. Jeff, what is your 30-second pitch and question for Kevin and Jessica? All right. I appreciate you having me on. Um, think about Mint meets Rocket Mortgage meets Box. Essentially, we are a lead generation and advertising platform for uh, mortgages for the entire mortgage industry. Um, we protect personal private financial information and allow the consumer to um, uh, control that information when they distribute it and deliver it to uh, lenders. Fantastic. What's your question? What's my question? Um, our model is somewhat similar to personal capital in that we're using a digital wallet up front to attract uh, consumer users to then turn into you know potential clients in the future. We're also loading that particular um, item with uh, databases from all of our uh, mortgage originators. Um, from that perspective, and I was just uh, you know curious what the outlook was from a digital wallet perspective because that marketplace is somewhat saturated. It is, and there are a lot of people that are taking it going in different directions. You have Abra, which is taking more of a blockchain approach. You have also isn't one of your your investments Acorn. That's not a digital no, not, wallet. No, but we're not. We're not in Acorn, but oh, you're um, not right. It's, but great company. And um, look, here here's the problem. Um, what I try to do, I have a uh, sort of an imaginary consumer, um, and I call her Sally. She lives in Cleveland. She's a soccer mom, and uh, you know, of course, she has a smartphone because everyone has a smartphone. But uh, what I try to do is I, I try to look at, at concepts and I try to look at businesses and I try to understand if if Sally is going to adopt, um, and and will these things help Sally and and you know every other um, person in the country. Because I'm, I'm really looking at markets of millions of people. It's going to help them get through their day. And the whole thing with, with payments is, again, and I'll use the, the, the word that I used with the last caller about simplification. Mm-hmm. This stuff is just you know too complicated for the average consumer. And so when you talk about 
you know, wallets. We are talking about mass adoption and we are talking about, you know, replacing payment systems. And the reality is that while not super convenient, cash works, you know, almost everywhere, maybe less so today because some people don't even, you know, transact with cash. The plastic in our wallets seem to always work. Mm -hmm. And look at how um, difficult the transition has been to try to get us to use the near-field communication capabilities in our Mm -hmm. phones with the Apple Wallet, Samsung Wallet, and so forth. Um, And we've seen every single bank try to bring out a wallet. And so I I think a few players will emerge as being successful. But for any businesses – that you know are are trying to target the consumer from a fintech standpoint. We have to remember this stuff is we might understand it because we're in this business, mm-hmm. but the average consumer doesn't. It's just too complicated. Right. And what is your message to them? That is first and foremost. If you can break that, then you actually will probably have every investor coming after you <laughs> if you have that secret <laughs> well, sauce. Yeah, I think we can crack it. And one of our, you know, our big things is the bulk um, acquisition of consumers. And essentially, we're using the databases of all our 525,000 mortgage originators in the marketplace to upload into the system. And then there are advocates uh, who will help um, not only board those people, but also trade, you know, train them going forward. Um, so we think we have a, a, a good, solid business plan. Uh, from that perspective, but I was, you know, I was very interested in in those insights, so I appreciate it. Thank you for calling in. We'll hopefully talk soon. Next right. up, Thank we you. have <laughs> we have John McMillan with Shockwave Motors. I get to hear your fabulous accent. <laughs> Thank you very much, Kim. Now, can you give us? You've given your thirty second pitch quite a few times, so I'm going to challenge you to give your ten to fifteen second pitch and get Kevin and Jessica your question. Mm, okay. <laughs> At Shockwave Motors, we make electric cars cool by providing a high-performance, three-wheel, three-passenger all-electric roadster that's economical, pollution-free, and just plain fun to drive. And convenience, low operating cost, and simplicity are what set us apart. We have a 200-mile-per-day range. You don't need any new infrastructure or special charging stations, just a simple 120-volt outlet. And we retail for less than the price of a typical used vehicle for federal rebates are applied. I still don't understand how anyone says no to you. (laughs) (laughs) His charisma is unlike anything just fills this room. So what's what's your question? My question is, my experience so far, and keeping in mind we are a clean tech hardware, excuse me, hardware setup, sorry, operator, uh, my experience so far has been that most angles in DCs are focused on healthcare and or computer apps, and I, I, I completely understand their reasons. My question is, how would you suggest we connect with others, uh, such as the family office investors and so forth, that might have an interest in clean tech hardware setup? So while there are definitely investors that are focused in software or healthcare, there are also many investors that are interested in hardware or clean tech. Um, have you tried reaching out to other other companies who are in a similar space as you and getting recommendations from either their investors or potentially connecting with them in that way. Um, basically, you know, Most create a, a list of all the companies that are in a somewhat related space to you and find out who their investors are. Okay, I've, I've tried to do some of that research. Uh, some of them are tight-lipped, but uh, mostly what I've been doing is uh, contacting potential clean tech VCs and so forth, but... Uh, and a little bit harder to find the, the family office investors I've found. And you know what? They're moving in that direction. I do have one for you. Remind me next week. I'll try and introduce you to one. Um, 
just remind me. Um, but also, you should be reading Venture Beat every single day and looking for mm-hmm. the investors that are investing in hardware companies and contact them because they're active. We'll be right back. Now, back to Kim McNicholas on innovation. Welcome back to the show. We're with Relay Ventures, Kevin and Jessica. And before we get into the callers, we have a very short segment here. But I want to know, why do companies fail? Oh, there's so many reasons. Well, three top reasons. 42% of companies fail because there's no market need for what they're, what they're building. 29% run out of cash before they figure out how to get it to the customer. And 23% of the time, it's because of the team. So this is um, actually CB Insights data. And you know, at the end of the day, when you're sitting around the table with your management team or with your investors and, and you know, you're talking about like, what's not working, very often it's that you've just built something that people don't want to buy right now, maybe in the future, maybe, maybe not ever. Well, my favorite one is, I built this out of need. Okay, well, that's great for you. Glad you don't need it anymore, but no one else needs it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, right. And, and so that's, response. It, it's, that, it's that fine line, right? Because right. what we certainly want is somebody who's experienced the need. Mm-hmm. And so this product that they're building fills this compelling need, and they had some unique insight that no one else saw. Mm-hmm. And just because it didn't exist didn't mean that, um, you know, that it shouldn't. But this really is the number one reason is an avoidable problem. Um, and, you know, right from the very beginning, we like to see the research. We like to yes. see that you've talked to customers. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's really no shortage for um, or, or no replacement for actually getting a product out into market mm-hmm. and having real customer data, um, real adoption data, engagement data, revenue data, um, you know, that you can that, – that's tangible and you can make a determination as to whether there's an opportunity here. Sometimes we're wrong. Right. Sometimes we we uh, the early adopter market is the only market. Mm-hmm. Um, we find that all the time here in Silicon yeah, Valley. Yeah. We love our toys, but we move on to the next toy very quickly. Right. But again, <laughs> that's why if the early adopter market is, you know, Silicon Valley, uh, you know, I bring my mythical soccer mom into the room mm-hmm. and say, will Sally buy this or will Sally use this? Right. And if the answer is no, then. Well, that's it. If you have a consumer product, the best example I have is the former CTO, chief technology officer of Hewlett-Packard, Phil McKinney. He used to spend his weekends standing over the computers and electronics at Best Buy, seeing what customers are buying, seeing what they're coming in for, seeing what Mm -hmm. their habits are. There's Mm -hmm. nothing that can replace that. Nothing on an Excel spreadsheet can replace that. I agree with that. So our next caller, we have Allie with Bridge Effect. You have literally 20 seconds to tell us, give us your 20-second pitch and a question for Kevin and Jessica. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, So I am the founder of the Bridge Effect, and we are an online solution for for childcare affordability. We connect parents, employers, and childcare providers together to create more affordable, available options for care. We leverage dependent care spending accounts to pay for care so that parents can use pre-tax dollars, and we save businesses money on their turnover rates, um, and we provide resources for child care providers to go out and start businesses. So my question is, as a social venture, we're finding that we have a lot of competition in that in that arena, which is which is fine, but I'm, we're, we're raising capital, and 
we're really looking at should we bootstrap this project or should we look for social investors? I feel like we're wasting a lot of time looking for social investors when we could bootstrap the project. One so check out check out SheEO. So look up SheEO. I'm happy to introduce you to the CEO of SheEO, which is a great, great organization for um, female entrepreneurs. But what else for you both? Well, you know, first thing I would say is why are you limiting yourself? Why are you thinking that it's social venture uh, versus bootstrapping? And, and I wouldn't make that distinction. The second thing, as as you were describing what you were doing, I wrote down a few words. So I heard affordable. I heard available. I heard save money. Um, I don't think that these things – I think you have to choose what you're, what you're going to be. And, and from what you described, there's a huge convenience factor in pulling all of these resources together. So I don't think that you necessarily have to be affordable because mm-hmm. you're selling availability and you're yeah. selling connectivity. So I would go back to some of your core principles and figure out you know, what is the most important. Jessica might have yeah. some other perspective. Along those lines, you know, when you look at childcare, is affordable the thing that resonates with your customers? Is that really the thing that they're tying onto, or is it more in the lines of trust? Right, when you think about childcare, so I would kind of think of, think about what is really resonating with your customers, and then how will that translate into the right investors for you? That answer your question. That help at all? Yeah, thank you guys so much. Thank you very much. Thank you for calling in and keeping us up to date. We have one final caller here. This has got to be a, almost a speed round. New with Bell IQ. Literally, Hi. the quickest you can give us your pitch and the quickest of quickest questions. We'll literally yeah, only have so. a minute for you to an- for her, them to answer. Okay. Um, so um, the company is Bell IQ. I'm the founder CEO. We deliver customized skincare regimens to your door every month. Our treatment plans are formulated by a world-class team of board-certified dermatologists. Uh, we're building the largest AI training database to scale dermatology as a service and make it accessible for everyone. Um, our mission is to empower consumers to discover, learn, and buy for their evolving skincare needs. Your question. And the, yeah, the question is, um, what specific metrics are seed investors looking for um, in the current market for an e-commerce company, given a lot of the changes happening in the space right now. Wow. Um, so is the product in market now? Yeah. So we're launching um, our private beta next month. Um, we have a wait list of 400 plus customers that I personally recruited myself. Yeah. So um, I don't think... As, we're shipping our- right. I know we're, we're short on time. So I don't think it's so much about metrics for seed investors as it is, here's the product, it's built already. So you're already a little bit ahead of the curve, right? Because normally you'd raise seed round and you say, here's my vision, I want to build a product that's going to do this. So if you have the product already, you're ahead of the curve. Um, and, you know, as I listen to the description... Uh, again, simplify, simplify, simplify. Take that message down to a very specific thing. You have a product that you want to sell and go out and sell. You have a marketing challenge in front of you, nothing else. Thank you so much. Thank you for calling in, New, and I appreciate you both for coming in for more information and to pitch them further. RelayVentures.com? RelayVentures.com. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Jessica, Thank for coming you. in. Thanks, have Kim. a great weekend, everyone. This has been Kim McNicholas on Innovation. You can connect with Kim on Facebook forward slash Kim McNicholas or email Kim McNicholas at gmail.com. Be sure to join us again next Friday at 1 for Kim McNicholas on Innovation. This show is distributed by the Innovators Network. 
For more information and other great shows and content, visit theinnovators.network. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.